Trimester 2, Lesson 8, The Place of Appealing. This, this is going to be so important because the reason sometimes I think God doesn't work in people's lives and in people's situations is because, number one, we don't understand authority, and number two is when it comes time in order to communicate with authority. Now, remember, we're talking about it could be your boss, it could be a teacher, it could be a policeman, a judge. Yes, it would include the ministry, your pastors. It, you know, there's authority everywhere we go in life. And, and I've tried to broaden it up so it just doesn't appear as if this just fits within the four walls of the church. But the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains, which means everywhere you go on the earth, you're going to run across authority. At Bilo. The, the, the manager, I may let you tell the story because it's not coming to my spirit right now. So, oh, yeah, that was very, yeah, that's a great story. I'll let you tell it. Okay, so, you know, appealing. If we understood that it's not just communication but that God's word is really a blueprint. I'm, I'm going to spend some time here. I'm going to get to the nitty-gritty here, but God's word is a blueprint for your life, not just how you get saved. It is a blueprint as to how you might enjoy life and that more abundantly. All right? It is your handbook. It is your owner's manual. Now, out in my car, I have an owner's manual. I really like it because you can go to the index, and it's like, if you, like the other day, I needed to learn how to switch out a headlight, and I could do it myself because I had the owner's manual, and it's all nicely indexed. Now, I tell you why the Bible can be somewhat frustrating is because it's not like there's a chapter on how do you do my husband's a jerk. You know, there's, it's not like that. You, you see what I'm saying. How do I, you know, how do I navigate my hormonal wife? It doesn't say that. You know, it doesn't say these things. My point is that's why you've got to read it. Because it's in there, but you, it's, it's, you've got to find it. Study to show yourself approved. A workman who need not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Your Bible is your handbook for living life well. Now, when you understand that, then we can get to this. It's not just, can't, can't I communicate to authority? Can't I tell my boss what I feel? Can't I share what's on my heart? Can't I? Yes, you can. But how you do that is just as important as the words you may choose to say or the information you want to communicate, all right? So we're not just talking about, you know, how do I do it by way of technique, but we also need to talk about your spirit. Remember last, I believe last Wednesday, I think I said, you can be right, but if your spirit's wrong, you're wrong, okay? So, so that's the difference between just folk and Christians, is that we're, we're responsible to be of a right spirit, to be of a good spirit. Now, there are a couple passages here that are interesting. Amos 3.3, 3, it simply says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? How many of you know that if you have to walk with somebody and you guys don't agree, that's hard? Isn't that true? And, and so there has to be agreement. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 
6.14, it says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness. And what they're saying here is, is that you can't link up with people. And I've used that verse not only for marrying, and everybody that's single here, make sure you highlight that one, because the last thing you want to do is missionary marry. Because if they ain't going to love Jesus before the I do's, I'll assure you, after the I do's are said and the package is opened, they ain't, they ain't, they ain't going to come to Jesus easily then. But I, but I use this for business people too. Why would, you, why would you enter into a business with an unbeliever? Because the Bible says that you're not to be unequally yoked together. Why would I enter into a business with an unbeliever who doesn't understand the ways of God, who is not going to understand the principles of giving and generosity? They're not going to understand how to treat an employee according to the Scripture. Why would you link up with that and put yourself under that curse? So, so agreement is very, very important. So, I put in the introduction, whenever you build a ministry, now we're back to church life, whenever you build a ministry, there has to be a foundation of agreement. The people who join together must find the place of unity as they work under authority. And there are certain things that you just cannot build with or build on. Number one, I put down here, conflicting philosophies. It will be a bumpy uh, joining in any relationship if the foundations are set in different philosophies of discipline, commitment, loyalty, etc. Can I just share with you, even in a husband and wife situation, if you guys have different views on how you're going to discipline the kids, how many of you know that's going to be bumpy for about 20 years? Is that not true? Because, there's a, because you, can't, you can't build a family on differing philosophies. Um, you know, commitment. I mean, what, what, what does commitment mean in a relationship? I mean, if you don't define that, and, and understand these things, then it's going to be difficult to walk together. Again, we could go through lots of illustrations. Now, people can have legitimate differences of opinion, but in order for things to go forward, one opinion has to prevail. Is that not true? It's just, you know, our, our nation is paralyzed right now because it cannot move forward because we have two political parties that are entrenched and intractable in, in finding a way to go forward. And so it, it just has shut everything down. And, and, and not even to mention is anybody thinking about what God wants in this whole thing. You cannot build on moral impurity. If there's moral impurity in a relationship, and again, whatever relationship it may be, you can't build on that. You can't build on a hidden agenda. You can't build on disloyalty. You can't build on lack of commitment. You know, if, if you're running a ministry area and, and there's a person who refuses to be there on time, I mean, how, how do you build on that? You can't. And, and, and so you have to find agreement. Now, the question that comes in is that we will all agree that agreement has to come. But the question is, what do you do if there is legitimate, and everybody underline, legitimate disagreement? Legitimate disagreement. You know, it's, it's no deep, dark secret. We've shared these things that Trace and I have through the years. We're coming up on 29 years being married. And there were some years I would not go back to and neither would she because they were bumpy years. And there were moments that we were in disagreement. And we had to work through those things and move through those things. And sometimes it was just, you know, I was being just stupid. And, and most of the time, because most of the time men are the 
relational retards, I guess I'd say, or we're just because we're not built, we're not wired. Most of us for relationship. I mean, men are just are not intuitively, naturally wired for relationship. The women tend to be more so, but but none that uh, other than that. Um, but there can be legitimate places of disagreement. So let's let's talk about how we disagree, and particularly how do we disagree in, in the life of the body. In Acts 24, 1 through 9, and in chapter 25, 1 through 12, and I'm not going to read these verses to you because they're really, they're really these, these intricate verses about Paul being drugged before civil authority and being accused of certain things because of his ministry. And, and you have to realize that he's being pulled before what we would call rotten authority. Because how many of you realize if, if let's say, pastor right here all of a sudden got drugged before a civil court and we were there because he was preaching, uh, you know, you know, pastor was preaching that homosexuality, uh, homosexuality and that behavior is sin in the scripture and you can't do that. Or, or I was preaching that you need to pray and the government doesn't want you to pray anymore. And, and all of a sudden I'm brought before a court and I'm in a court system. How many of you realize at that moment, if, if the political system and the court system is stacked against me, we could label that poor authority. And I may be right, but I'm still in a, in a situation that I'm, I'm under an authority. How do you begin to work through that and deal with that? Because Paul was in those very situations. He was preaching the gospel. He was ministering to people. All he was doing was delivering them, setting them free. One time he delivered a psychic girl. In Acts 16, 16, he delivered a psychic girl. Got her set free from the enemy. Hallelujah. People should be running around the streets going, glory to God. She's set free. Well, you know, her supervisors, because they were running, you know, the psychic tent that she was working in, well, they suddenly lost their income. They were mad. Went and reported Paul to the authorities. He got arrested for delivering a psychic from that devil. And so here he is. And, and so what do you do? So, letter A here, it says there's another answer to being under poor authority besides unrighteous reaction. Now, a lot of times this is what people do. They will yell, scream, pitch a fit in order to get their way. How dare you? I can't believe. I'm offended. I'm Well, I'm just here to tell you that... that the verse is, what is, the righteousness of God does not come by the wrath of man. I mean, I may be misquoting that. Usually I have most of them. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I think it's the other way around. So I know a lot of times if we scream loud enough, we get our way. But screaming is the flesh. And, and that's not God's way. Screaming, yelling, pitching a fit is not God's way. The other one is resignation. Well, you know, I'll just, you know, I'll take my marbles and I'll go somewhere else. And we just, we, 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 we quit. Paul was confronted with false allegations. And so what he did was he appealed. And an appeal is an appropriate way to present other facts or considerations before one who is in authority. In our civil uh, and even criminal law system in America, you know, even if you're found guilty at one level, you can appeal to another level. And appeal until eventually it may go to the Supreme Court and there it will be the final arbiter uh, in your appealing. That's how it works in, in civil society. Now, whenever you're appealing things, uh, you need to be careful because it is neither wise nor appropriate to appeal everything. 
Now, this is what I mean by that. There are some people that when they hear the appeal lesson, what they will do with it is they will take it, and then all of a sudden, every time they don't like something, they appeal it. Do you remember the old story about the boy who cried wolf? And, and what, you know the story. He cried wolf so many times that when the real wolf came, nobody paid attention to him. Now, you got to realize that, that you know, we're still dealing with human beings, but if you're, if you're a chronic appealer, you have to understand that an authority at times will look at that as a chronic complainer. Now, that's why you got to, I used to say, you got to pick your battles. Because there are some things that are just a difference of opinion. Remember, if you're being asked, for instance, to do something or to be flexible, and it's just a difference of opinion. You know, at what point do you yield? You know, that's what being under authority is. It means somebody else makes the call and that I have to learn how to yield. So, so if you appeal all the time, all the time, all the time, too many appeals begin to trivialize authority and it causes true issues to get overlooked or not taken seriously. I mean, I'm just going to tell you, I'm a human being and, and I want to listen to people, and by and large, as I'm looking across this group here tonight, I, I don't know of a one of you that has been a burden in any way, shape, or form to me. I, I know not of one as I'm looking across here. And I've had communications with most of you at some level, some way, some time. But I have, through the years, had people who communicate with me regularly through emails and letters and phone calls and Here's, here's what the problem is, and this is the part that's really tough because after a while, you could get an email or a phone call or something that has a legitimate point in there. But you've heard 10,000 illegitimate points that when you finally get one that may make sense, because you have 10,000 already in your pocket, you just, you, after a while, you blur. Now, you can say, well, that doesn't seem right. You ought to pay. Well, listen, that's the, that's the point I'm trying to make here is that why don't you learn to yield? Because if somebody, can I just share this with you? If somebody, and at least this is how I work, in my mind, that I rarely hear from, all of a sudden in the right spirit, in the right time, and in the right way, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, comes up to me and say, Pastor, have you ever considered, and just in a real good presentation, can I just tell you how my mind works? At that moment, I'll say to myself, you know, I don't hear from these people often. And, and if they were really just moved to just finally say something, I know their disposition is not really to whine or to complain, and, you know, they're for us, and they, you know, you know, I might just need to think about that. Now, that's how my mind works, and I'd be willing to bet a lot of your bosses and teachers, and, and do, you know how, do you know how often a policeman gets disrespected? Oh, you, were, you were in law enforcement. And you know how much you get disrespected. You see, that's why when a policeman comes to my, and I have been pulled over because I was moving a little faster than I should have been moving. Uh, but I was, you know, I was just in a hurry to do the will of God, but I was going a little faster than I should have been going. And one of God's ministering servants, according to Romans 13, turned on his blue lights and pulled me over. But when they walk up to me, that's why I always say, yes, sir, no, sir. I, it, would it help you if I went back to your vehicle, or do you want me to stay here? I mean, what? And, and you know what? I, I, I've had to pay tickets before, but I cannot tell you how many warnings I've gotten instead of fines because I was just respectful, and they just 
Even though I, I, there've been a few times I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. And I, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, and you'd be amazed at just a proper disposition. Now that does that guarantee a good outcome? No, but I've had a lot of good outcomes just because I've understood that, that most of the time they don't get that. Your boss works the same way. He's listening to every squeaky wheel. And then, and then, and if you're just one of a number of squeaky wheels after a while, it just, you're just, you're the herd. But if, but if you can reach the place where, where he knows he has a cooperative, valuable employee who will actually do what needs to be done, it's amazing when you present something right, you'd be amazed that they might receive that in a way that could actually help. Now, I understand it doesn't always work that way, but, but we've got to do our 100%, right? It's like in a marriage. I don't care if your spouse only does 50%, you're still required to do 100%. I mean, it's always better if everybody's doing 100-100, but I'm responsible for doing everything I know to do, and God can move in that. So questions to ask yourself before making an appeal. Before you go in and you just, you know, you put it on the desk and put it on the line, ask yourself some questions. Am I being asked to violate the Scripture? Now, if you're being asked to violate Scripture, then, then I can tell you right then, you have a legitimate place for an appeal because you... You are already under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and he does not want you to violate the word. A lot of people are afraid to approach their employers on things that violate the word of God because they're fearful that they might lose their job. Folks, more than fearing losing my job, I fear the one who got me that job in the first place, which is, and and if he got me it, he can get me another one. So if I'm asked to violate scripture, if you're ever asked to violate scripture, and they may not know. It's amazing how many people don't know, never thought about it. And, and I'll give you some illustrations here in a minute. Number two, am I being asked to violate my conscience or a conviction given by the Holy Spirit? Now, I do believe God speaks to us, and there are certain convictions we have. And, and there are ways to present appeals that you can maintain your conviction um, and yet at the same time keep your job. I'll give you a perfect example. This has been some years ago. A gentleman I knew, he was a traveling salesman, and his company oftentimes, he was dispatched to go fly to different cities, and his traveling companion was another woman within the organization. Now, this happens all the time. I watch this on airplanes when I fly. I, can, I, you know, I know it happens all the time. And so he and this woman, not his wife, would get on an airplane. They would fly to a different city, you know, they would go about whatever they were doing in their sales routines. And, of course, they'd, if they stayed overnight, they'd go to the hotel. He's a Christian man. They'd get different rooms. They did everything that they needed to do. And it was all in, above board on the up and up. But the problem was, after a while, he began to recognize that that wasn't really the thing that he needed to be doing. It, it didn't bring security and safety to his wife. Was he violating some absolute written word of God in, in doing what they were asking him to do? The answer was no. But his conscience was becoming... Uh, uh, just tormented because he just felt like this, this just wasn't a good testimony and the Holy Spirit was dealing with him about it and he was fearful of going to his employer and saying anything because he was afraid, what? He'd lose and it was a great job. And I remember he visited with me and we talked about it and I said, listen, first off, you don't have to go in there and, and throw the gauntlet down. Why don't you go down and why don't you go to your, your boss and just in a good spirit, just say to him, you know, I, I love the company I'm working for. Doesn't every employer love to hear that their employee loves who they work for? I love the company I'm working for. 
I tell you what, you have, you have, this company has, has provided my lifestyle. It has, it has helped send kids through school. I, I want you to know I really like what I do and I love my job. But I'm, I'm, I, I have an area I'm feeling uncomfortable with that I'd like you to consider. And, and he went and did this, and he began to share how he just felt like, you know, you want stable employees, you want stable salesmen. I, I, there's nothing going on, but I'm just feeling more and more uncomfortable traveling with a woman companion that's not my wife. And I'd really like to see this change. And he presented it in a good spirit. It was, you know, he didn't come in and go, oh, bless God, heathens, you know. And, and he didn't, you know, he just didn't start going, it's godless. And, and he just, it just, you know, it wasn't going to provide the security. And, and he felt like that might even undermine his ability to be a good employee in the future. And lo and behold, his boss said, you know, I never thought of that. He, they just had never thought of it before. And he said, you know, you're right. And, they, and what he did was he changed the whole policy for the whole company because he began to think about that, didn't even think about it before. Now, you see what happened? He appealed with a right spirit, and it ended up even being used by God in even greater ways than it was that if he would have went in with a bad spirit. All right, you're following me now, all right? Some of you are so fearful of just having a, a conversation and, and, you know, God, the Bible says, God hath not given us what? A spirit of, but a power and of love and a sound mind. And when we can do that in a right spirit, it's amazing how even the world goes, oh, yeah, yeah, all right. Number three, an appeal could be because an authority has failed in some regard. For instance, if you were promised something that didn't come to pass or, or if, if, uh, in some way, there was an expectation that wasn't met. If there was, if there was an understanding and, and there was a failure in that understanding, then you would have a right to, to an appeal. But, but make sure that was, again, an appropriate understanding. And then number four, um, is this a difference of opinion that I have, which I just need to yield to? Again, we can all have differences of opinions, but there comes a moment that one opinion is what has to be implemented in order to go forward. And for all of us, there are moments that we have to yield to an opinion. And even I, you know, I'm part of a ministerial fellowship, and, and I yield to certain opinions. <laughs> I go, I don't know, but I guess I'll go with that because it's just a difference of opinion, all right? So let's talk about the steps. This is the practical point, and, and you can apply this in your everyday life in so many situations and areas. And I'm going to have Trace come up here in just a second and share one that was just, it's, it, in some ways it's a small thing, but it's such a good illustration on how to do this. So how do I communicate appropriately a concern, a conviction, or a lack of understanding without having a rebellious spirit? All right, because remember, we can all obey on the outside, but the Bible asks that we be submitted where? On the inside. Submission is to come under. So it's not just you do what you're told, because all of us, if we've been a boss or even if you've been an employee, you've seen the employee pool, that there have been people who did what they were supposed to do, but boy, by the look on their face, you know they ain't liking it. Can I just tell you that they have, they have circumvented what God could have done in their life? Because God may see the obedience, but he also sees the heart. And he asks for submission as well as the obedience. So here are some steps I'm going to start giving you. Number one. Am I talking to the person in charge? The first point of an appeal is the person who's directly over you in the issue. 
Do not go up the ladder of appeal out of proper order. No one likes the feeling of being circumvented. Many problems can be fixed at the closest level. Now, let me just give you just a simple illustration here. There's, I'm, I'm looking at Rachel right there, in the, and Rachel oversees our nursery. Does a good job. And, but one day, somehow, some way, it happened that one of the babies did not get their diaper changed at the right moment. The earth stops. And all of a sudden, the parent that gets the baby finds this out. Oh, tragedy. Little, little Billy. Yeah, I, just, I didn't want to pick out one of the names of our kids. I didn't. Little Billy. <laughs> we don't have any Billies, do we? No, good. Little Billy then. Little Billy. <laughs> little Billy has a wet diaper. Oh, tragedy of tragedies. Parent mad, upset. He got a little ring around his leg because a little rash got in there. Oh, 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 how can this be? How can this be? Satan was in the nursery and where I'm, I'm calling pastor and letting pastor know what I think of little Billy not getting changed. Ho, ho, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I, you know, I've done, my, I've done my time changing diapers and I want the kids' diapers to be changed in time. But can I just share something with you? Go to Rachel first. Now, I'm going to tell you why. Rachel will look and probably go, I'm so sorry. Didn't know what happened. There's probably some explanation in that. There's probably, you know, mayhem in the nursery that morning. I don't know. But, but you know what? And just that quick, it can get fixed, and it'll probably never happen again. But here's the problem when you circumvent. Let's just say and you go straight to me. That means I got, one, I got one squeak from somebody, and it may be legitimate, but I got one squeak already from you that I put in my pocket. Because I'll probably, the first thing I'll ask is, well, did you talk to Rachel? Well, no, I didn't talk to Rachel. I figured the pastor needed to know. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I'll put that on my prayer list right here. Go first to the person closest to where the problem can be fixed. If Rachel can't fix the diaper issue, then, then it can, you know, it'll come up. And as it gets up the line, I'll assure you by that, when it gets to me, the diaper issue will be addressed, all right? So, but start there. You know, if you have a problem, if, if a youth has a problem, you know, go to Pastors Noah or Kelly and, and visit with them. And if it's out of their league or something like that, I'm available. I'm not going anywhere. But the reason they're there is because a lot of things they know really what to do, all right? So, Am I talking to, first to the person in charge? Number two, ask yourself, am I truly submitted? Some people are cranky in their disposition. So are you a team player or are you a thorn in the flesh? Some people think they're called to that, by the way. <laughs> I told you this before. There are some people who think they, they're called to be the devil's advocate. And my answer is I've got the devil fighting me on enough areas. I don't need you to be his advocate, Okay. Do you see the larger picture and have the greatest good at heart? All right, ask, you just ask yourself these questions. Now, I put seven signs of a submitted person. Number one is they try to find authority wherever they are. Wherever, wherever people go, they, they try to find authority so they can function under authority. Number two, they have a soft heart, which means they've been broken. 
There's, there's a brokenness there and a meekness that's there. That's a submitted person. Number three, they really don't have the itch to be in authority. If you've ever been in authority and had to face all the things that one in authority faces, you're not always clamoring for it. Uh, that doesn't mean they won't be in authority. In fact, those who usually don't want to be get there the fastest. Number four, their life and their words model restraint. What I mean by that is, is that they, they, I mean, all of us can get irritated. My, my inner temperature can go up. I've been known to have to grit my teeth. And, uh, you know, all of us can have moments when we're caught off guard. But generally, generally, that a submitted heart, uh, there's a, the self-restraint levers working in that person's life. They don't just fly off the handle and get mad at the drop of a hat. Number five, they're sensitive to insubordination in them and around them. When you begin to understand authority, what happens is, is that you can begin to see it all around you. You don't realize how much rebellion there is in the world until you finally get your heart under the lordship of Christ and you get yourself under authority and pretty soon you begin to see, whoa, 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 whoa. Boy, I can, I can see rebellion all around me. That's how you know someone's submitted. Number five, they are not fascinated with their own opinions. There are some that think their opinions are the greatest thing in the world. They are just, you know, their opinions are it and they're, and they're really fascinated with it. I'm really sad to say I go to a lot of pastors, preachers meetings, and you get in a room and you start letting pastors talk, and it's real easy to see which ones are and are not broken. <laughs> I hate to say that. It's really, it's really true that, you know, you don't have to, you know, I'm teaching you precept, but not everybody gets precept, and they still get position, and, and God knows I've, I've seen my fair share of that. And number seven, they are grace-filled toward their authority's humanness. What does that mean? It means that, well, let's just say in church life, truth is I'm still a human being. And even as much as I feel like I've been shaped and molded and tried to learn through my pains and God's done things to mature me and hopefully I have reached the place in many areas of my, my life that I am demonstrating uh, a sense of consistency uh, there is certainly a lack of and hopefully no hypocrisy. And all the things that you would want in your life, the truth of the matter is, how many of you know pastor's human? And some days I have a bad day. And, and I don't mean to have a bad day. And most of the time I have my sweet wife who will look at me and tell me later on, she'll go, honey, that was real good tonight, but you were getting a little mad there at one point, and I think that the anointing left the building. And you know what? She's probably right that there was, you know, you can get irritated or upset, but there comes a moment you got to realize that, you know what? You, you can just say this internally, God bless him. Bless him, Lord. Like Miss Louise says, bless him, Lord. And you know what? You got to look, and you do really have to look beyond humanness. Now, again, if there's egregious sin, then something needs to happen to yank even the pastor's chain. But truth of the matter is people can have a bad day. They, their mind's in another place, and they aren't focusing like they need to focus. And so you understand, and you're human too. And, and there are times you need a little grace on a bad day. So hopefully we don't have too many bad days. But, but you know someone who's submitted because they can still yield even when they see their authority's humanness.
Number three, have I discerned the intentions or the motives of my authority? What that means is that you must try to walk in their shoes for a moment to see what they see. Before you instantly come and and have whatever it is you want to appeal, have you walked in their shoes for a moment? Have you asked yourself, well, what are they trying to accomplish here? Have I, have I understood the intentions or the motives of my authority? Because sometimes you, you need to come to the realization, whether it's at a school or a job or a church or wherever you may be, it isn't all about you all the time. Sometimes it's about the bigger picture and where we are trying to go. So have you tried to discern that and understand motives? Number four, this is a great one. Is this the appropriate time to deal with it? I think the timing of an appeal is everything. Because truth of the matter is, if you come and get me after Sunday morning service and the morning's just been done and everybody's rushing at me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you. I will give you the best I've got, but that's not good timing. It's not good timing. Now, after I've slept Sunday night and got up on Monday morning, and, and uh, you know, and you're, and you're back in and you're in the hunt and there's something that needs to be communicated or talked about. Can you understand why that might be a better moment timing-wise? Because you see, what you might get a no when you want a yes may have more to do with your timing than anything else. You may have a perfectly legitimate point to be made. But if it's bad timing, it can ruin that which normally would have been received Uh, graciously and gratefully. Think about that with your boss, too. Think about that with a teacher. Think about that with the police or, you know, a judge. You know, a judge judge has just heard, you know, you're in a courtroom and he's just heard a hundred knuckleheads tell him all sorts of, you know, crazy things. You know, ask yourself, really, is this the best time to say what I'm fixing to say out of my mouth? All right? Timing is everything. Sometimes people use certain time and place as leverage points. In other words, if they can, if they can get you on record in front of a crowd, that, that can manipulate or leverage a situation. So, again, I, I, I just think about it. Ask yourself the question, is this the appropriate time to deal with it? Or ask even the question, is this an appropriate time or would there be a better time for you to, uh, to have a visit with me? Number five, have you given the pertinent facts? You cannot give only the information that fortifies your appeal. You know know what? If you only tell half the truth, what's that? It's all right. We're getting there. You you, got to give all the facts. Okay, tell the whole story, not just the part that makes you look good. There's nothing more frustrating to me through the years, especially if I'm running down a problem or I'm trying to iron out a situation. Somebody tells you something on the phone and you say to them, hey, I understand, let me check it out. And, and I start to check it out and then I find out other facts and then I got to call them up and say, well, well, in this happening, did you, did you know this? Did you see this as well? Well, yeah, I saw that. Well, did you know this? Well, yeah, I knew that too. Well, then why didn't you tell me that? Well... And they'll say, well, I don't know that I thought it was important. Well, the truth is, no, you knew that that would make it look a little bit different as I'm, as I'm weighing all of this. So, so get the whole story out there. Bits and pieces can lead a person to a wrong conclusion. And if you lead an authority to a wrong conclusion, let me tell you, you don't want to do that. 
And you, you don't want to do that in a courtroom. You don't want to do that with a police officer. You don't want to do that with, hey, can I just tell you, you don't want to do that with your professor in college who gives you the grade at the end of the semester. Don't want to do that, all right? So given the pertinent facts. Number six, am I speaking with a right spirit? Is all offense and bitterness put at the cross? Am I whole as a person, or at least as much as one can be, at the point you're at? All right, because a right spirit is important. If, if we don't have a right spirit, um, a lot of times we can cause our own problems. And, and number seven, I like this one too, do you have an alternative? I've had people appeal certain things, and then I'll ask them the question, are you willing to help me in this? Oh, no, 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 I just wanted to point out what the problem was. And no, again, there are some people who, who believe that their calling in life is to point everything out they see to me that isn't like it's supposed to be. Well, can I just share this with you? I got two eyes, and I probably know it already. And I'm trying to get that better. But the, but the key is, are you willing to help and provide an alternative to the thing you are appealing over? Anybody can point out a problem, but have you thought of any solutions and keep the authority's goals and intentions in mind? I use this situation, Clayton, um, and I got to run and hurry here. Clayton, uh, when he was like in fourth grade or fifth grade, he had a had an art teacher. I think I told this earlier in the in the trimester. Had an art teacher who uh, was teaching her art class, and all of a sudden he was coming home, and I was looking at all these really, you know, they were they were they were drawing Volkswagens and psychedelic colors and peace signs and everything he was drawing. This is fourth grade now, love and peace and and all the things you of the 60s. And then one day he came home and he said, Dad, it was really cool in our class today. I said, oh, yeah, what's going on? He said, yeah, we, they played the Star Spangled Banner. I said, really? Wow. He said, yeah, but it's not like what they do at ball games. Really? He said, yeah, man, this guy on a guitar was just jamming out. And I forgot all how he said it, but it dawned on me that was Jimi Hendrix on that one album at Woodstock. And I thought, really? That's what she played, the Woodstock album. And folks, you know, if you don't know that era, we're talking about that was bad. And that album wasn't particularly good. And there were things Jimi Hendrix said that weren't particularly good. And so I went in and I made an appeal. I had to make an appeal. Well, I, don't, I didn't do it exactly right because the first thing I went to the principal. Well, the principal said, you got to go talk to the teacher. So I said, all right, I'll go talk to the teacher. So I went into the art teacher. But listen, by that time, I knew what I needed to do. <clears throat> and, and I asked her, I said, you know, here are some of my concerns. And I kind of laid them out real gently. And I could see, you know, the old scuds were coming up out of her spirit, you know. And she was getting defensive because as I'm looking around the room, I'm looking at all this psychedelic and stuff. And, you know, I'm, I know I'm messing with her whole teaching plan the whole year probably and I think that's what she said yeah our whole theme is this for the year is the 60s and I'm thinking internally oh this is going to be great so she goes on and I said well you know 60s you know it's kind of like drug sex rock and roll and you know I'm a little concerned as a parent and she goes well you know there wasn't just that stuff that you know and she said there was you know there was this movement with young people and change societally changing and I want to make sure that our students understand that the history behind their art and I'm going there in fourth grade man they ain't they're 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 not you know they're just it's they they're happy if they got the 64 color box of crayons for crying out loud they aren't worried about the 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 you know being inspired by the 60s that's what I'm thinking I'm not saying all this stuff 
And, 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 but, you know, I want to make sure they understand the history. And, and, and all of a sudden, it was the Holy Ghost, just that quick. And I said, okay. So you want to make sure they understand the whole history of the 60s? She said, yes, yes. I said, and it's really important to you that they understand all the transformational aspects that were taking place during that time period, right? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Great change. I said, well, you know what? There were millions of young people at the same time while Woodstock and all that was going on. Millions of people, young people, were giving their hearts to Jesus Christ. And it's called the Jesus Movement. And it was one of the most significant happenings in all of history because as all of this is taking place in secular arenas, millions of young people during that time period are coming in to the kingdom. And I'll tell you what, I'll come in and teach it to them if you would like me to. And that's all I said. Well, well, <laughs> I'll have to think about that. I said, okay, think about that. And, and I left. And I think the next time he had art class, a note went home that the art teacher sent out to all the parents. We are changing our theme this year in art class. All right? But I didn't have to go have a showdown with the art teacher. In fact, you know, when we go to parent things and all that, I mean, there was an amiable uh, relationship that began to develop. But you see, that's just another illustration that if you just keep the right spirit, you know, God can use it. Come up here real quick. I want to make sure you get your story in before we lose we, we lose all the time. I got a few more things I got to cover, so do this. Okay. Um, I had gone to Bilo, uh, just happened to run in there to get some milk. This was a couple days ago. I think it was like on the 6th of August. And I walked by there, and I saw they had rotisserie chicken salad. Okay, rotisserie chicken salad in a little thing. And I thought, oh, yeah, I've had that before, and it's good. And that on Sunday, we can go home, which was the 8th, and make chicken salad sandwiches for lunch. We won't go out to eat. You know, I was trying to do all that. And... Uh, so we get home from church on Sunday, and I open up the container, and I get a fork, and I take one bite, and it's like right on the edge of going bad, and you're just like, ooh, I'm not going to give this to my whole family, and everybody be, you know, throwing up the rest of the day over that. And so I put it back, and I, and I started to just throw it away. But then I thought of Maria. <laughs> and I thought of living on my budget, and I looked down at it, and I had spent $5.46 on this little Thing of chicken salad, and I thought, you know, Bilo's just like right around the corner. Later this afternoon, I'm just going to run down there, you know. And so um, later that night, I said, hey, I, I forgot to go to Bilo. He goes, okay, I'll take you down there. So we drive down there, and Kevin's like, are you sure you want to like go in? It's only like $5 and something. I was like, well, honey, yeah. And he's like, well, they're not going to give you your money back. And I said, well, they might, or they might have me get a Bilo card, you know. I mean, they may not give me money back. And so anyway, so we get out of the car, and the, I laugh at him because he, oh, he of little faith. He said, you know, they're going to give you a hard time. And I said, no, they're not. So I walk in and I did. I thought, I'm not going to go to some 16-year-old girl at the cashier. Okay, she doesn't, you know, she doesn't have any authority, bless her heart, you know. So I walk in the door and I see a lady standing there and I said, ma'am, do you happen to be the manager? And she immediately turned around and said, yes, I am. And I said, just that, I said, I was in here and I made sure, first of all, I made sure that I had not bought something that was expired, and that was my fault, you know, so I made sure the date was right, so I said to her, I bought this, and then, you know, opened it up, it didn't taste quite right, and she went immediately, oh, let me have it, she goes, you just go right over there and get some more, and I said, well, actually, I don't want any more, I was wondering if I could get my money back, or a Bilo card, and she said, oh, absolutely, she goes, now, you're going to have to stand in line, and I said, oh, I, I totally understand, you know, and so she pulls off the, the price on the, off the top of the container, and she goes over to the young girl who's 
who's over there working at the customer service part. And I'm standing in line over here in the customer service part. And she says something to her, and then that lady walks off. And I walk up there, and the girl, she doesn't say anything to me. She's just ringing it up. And she gives me $11.80-something cents. And I said, oh, no, honey, you've given me too much money. And she said, no, ma'am, she told me to give you twice your money. And I said, really? And she said, yep. And I said, oh, okay. So I took it. And as soon as I was turning around, the lady was like right there where Kevin is, the manager. And I said, you didn't have to do that. And she said, I wanted to do that. And I said, well, I appreciate that. And she said, I bet you'll come back to Bilo. And I said, yes, ma'am, I will. All right. But, but, you know, if you go in slopping your chicken salad down on the, on the counter and saying, this was bad, were you trying to do poison me? I'll bring a lawsuit against you. Are you watching me, though? You would be amazed at what Christian people do that just blow the possibility of God doing something, you know, unusual. So keep that in mind. And, and number eight here, can you display the correct response no matter what the answer to the appeal is? You never really know how submitted you are until someone says no to you. Submission doesn't even start until you get your first no. I mean, it's easy to run around church or work and say, I'm submitted to authority, I'm submitted to authority, and the first time you ask something and they say no, we'll figure it out. Because that's when you'll find out. Can you, can you, can you hear no? All right? Now, what do I do if I just can't accept the final answer? I've got to hurry, hurry. I will not read that story. I'm just going to give you these four quick points. What do I do if I just can't accept the final answer to an appeal? Number one, sometimes you just got to be patient and let God move. Are you praying about it? Are you letting God work on their heart? You know, Moses had to go how many times to Pharaoh before he let the people go? Think about that. Think about that. How many times did Moses have to keep going and let God move in this situation? Remember, it's not your timing. It's God's timing. And after each appeal, God was able to put his pressure on Pharaoh. Okay? Uh, in fact, the harshness of Pharaoh and the suffering the Israelites faced, if you'll think about this, especially during that appealing time period, was really the national fitness program to prepare them for their journey out of Egypt. While, while God's hardening the heart of Pharaoh and they're not getting their way, they don't realize that as they're, they're being made to do even more and more rigorous work, they're preparing themselves for the walk they're fixing to take. And they didn't even get that. Sometimes when, when, when you're hearing no's, God's doing things in you that's preparing you for when the yes comes. Think about that. Number two, recognize when God is asking you to suffer for righteousness' sake. You know, the Bible says, blessed are you when you suffer for righteousness' sake. You want a blessing? Suffer for righteousness' sake. Yeah. Daniel in the lion's den. That's when God does miracles. Peter and John, the scripture tells us that when they were told to no longer teach or preach in the name of Jesus, they continued to do it. The scripture says that they were both whipped, and the Bible says that after they were whipped, they rejoiced that they were able to suffer for the name of Jesus. Isn't that cool? <laughs> we're going, I didn't ever, I've never read that, Pastor. Go read that, man. They rejoiced that they were able to get whooped. Number three, maybe, maybe it is time to leave. Does the rejection of appeal rise to the level of leaving the ministry or leaving the job? I know some people that have quit jobs for stupid reasons, and then they put themselves in poverty for years. Now, I'm not saying there aren't reasons to quit a job. I'm, there are. 
But, but ask yourself, it, it doesn't rise to the level of leaving. If, and if you must leave, this is important, then you must leave without defiling the waters that everyone else who stays must drink from. What do I mean by that? I've watched this happen for years. People will leave the church, and as they're leaving the church, they will yeah, yeah, and defile everybody. And, and those are the people that have to receive because they don't feel led to, be, you know, to go. But, but they leave defiling the water. And I've had this happen all through the years. People leave and they'll defile and they're mad at me or mad at something or, you know, and they'll go out and then they'll start yakking to people. And then all of a sudden people in here start going, I don't know if I can trust pastor anymore. Well, if you can't, then you're defiled. So if you feel like it's God's will for you to leave, that's great. But don't do harm to your neighbor. Because if they're still going to hear from me, then it's good that they hear, what, what good does that do? Are you going to start a church? Are you going to lead them? To, I mean, I don't know. But, but don't, don't make it more difficult for them, all right? It is, it is better to let your authority get your anger, blast me, than defile the body on the way out. Really, if you've got to blast someone, just blast me, because I've been blasted by the best, all right? i got a funny story to tell you Sunday morning, too. I really do, I, so... And then finally, number four, what do I do? Is continue to appeal to God. And, and when, when you're not getting what you think needs to happen wherever you're located, here's the good news. The heart of the king is in the Lord's hands. And if you pray, God can move hearts. And it's happened to me before. I've, I've reversed my decisions in areas because, because I just felt like it was the thing to do. But I know people were praying. And God finally got through to me. You say, well, you would admit that? Sure, because I'm human. And maybe I don't see it right away. But why don't you seek God? And, and, and as you seek God, God really does speak to me, and I really want God's will, and I really do want to obey. And again, it might not be. Maybe the reason I'm not hearing it is because it's not the timing for the thing. I don't know. But if you'll take to heart all these things that I just shared with you, you know what, you can begin to see God move in, in situations that, that you thought maybe it was going to all shut down, close down, or, or be to your detriment. I believe God can move. Amen? Whenever I, do, whenever I think about the appeal lesson, I always think about a, a thousand scenarios I wish I'd done different. I'm going to say this. I've said it before. I'll say it again. You can't change your past, but from this point forward, you can change your future. And your future is not back there. Your destiny is right up there. And the good news is if you'll start today, you'll be amazed. If you'll start doing life God's way as best you know how, you will be amazed at the doors God's will, God will open for you. Amen.